Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark and happy you are with us again. Welcome if it's your first time. We specialize in focusing in on some pretty narrow and small aspects of jazz recorded history. And today, we're going to be listening to some of the sides that Fletcher Henderson and his great orchestra recorded in 1923 and 1924 before Louis Armstrong joined him, which was in the fall, October of 1924. So these recordings usually get pretty short shrift uh, in jazz history uh, texts and so forth because it was usually considered uh, not very important until Louis joined the band. But he, uh, Fletcher Henderson, had a very good core of musicians and an extensive recording career. Uh, he was really just a, a, a recording studio musician at this point. Uh, Fletcher Henderson was born in uh, Cuthbert, uh, Georgia in 19, or 1897, rather. He had come to New York in the 1910s to study chemistry, and that lasted a little bit of a while, but he found that he could make more money as a piano player. He had uh, learned piano as a youth. I think his mother was a piano teacher. His father was a, a, a teacher as well, so he came from a very academic background, and he was very quickly ensconced in the New York scene in the James Reese Europe uh, circle of musicians and the Clef Club and so forth, because he could read music well and uh, improvise to a certain degree, and he could fulfill a lot of different uh, types of gigs. And by 1920-21 or so, he had uh, signed on with the Black Swan Recording Company, which was one of the very early uh, recording companies that was recording African-American musicians. In fact, it said that it was credited itself for being the first company to be entirely African-American, from its backers to its uh, producers and its uh, engineers and its performers as well. And Henderson was one of the first music directors of that particular company. Uh, he was instrumental in getting Ethel Waters into the recording studio, and she was the first singer to really put Black Swan over with the public. They had tried to be more of a classical label before that, but uh, didn't sell very well. But when she recorded her down-home blues, uh, all of a sudden things came together, and Henderson was kind of signed on to be her music director and took a band on tour with her and so forth. By 1923, he was recording for all kinds of different labels. Black Swan had more or less gone out of business by that point, but uh, Vocalion, Columbia, a lot of different companies were calling on his talents to be music directors for sessions that featured vocalists and also instrumental groups. And he had a number of musicians who were active on the Harlem scene uh, that were uh, available to do recordings in the morning and afternoon before their evening gigs. And uh, he made dozens, if not hundreds, of recordings before he even had a regular band. So we're going to start with two sides that were done in uh, June, June 28th of 1923 for the Vocalion Company. And these were two tunes that uh, he recorded numerous times for numerous different companies, but I think these are probably the best recordings. This is credited to Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra, recorded for Vocalion Records, and the two tunes are the Gulf Coast Blues by Clarence Williams and Downhearted Blues by Alberta Hunter. And these are strictly instrumental sides. And uh, as near as we can tell from this late date, the personnel in this band was Elmer Chambers on cornet, Teddy Nixon on trombone, probably Don Redman on clarinet and alto saxophone, uh, someone else playing tenor saxophone, uh, who was not Coleman Hawkins at that point, Fletcher Henderson on piano, Charlie Dixon on banjo, and Billy Fowler on bass sax. Billy Fowler was a band leader in Harlem, and many of these musicians played for him at various times and may have been in his orchestra uh, when they were being called on for these recordings. So those are our first two sides, and we'll get a sense of what uh, black dance music sounded like in New York in 1923. We have 
have some solos, but most of these are uh, all written parts. These were stock arrangements that were being issued. Uh, in some cases, I think Don Redmond may have done some uh, arrangements. Of course, he became known as a, uh, one of the great arrangers in the early days of jazz, and then Fletcher Henderson became an arranger a little bit later on. So after that, we're going to jump over to two sides that were done for Columbia in uh, a few months later, September 13th of 1923. And the band here is more or less the same. Coleman Hawkins has joined the band on clarinet and tenor and baritone sax. Uh, and uh, we're going to hear, in addition, possibly Kaiser Marshall on drums. And this particular recording date is significant because Don Redman re recalled this years later as the date after this recording session, when the musicians were leaving the studio, they were... Uh, convinced or, or conned, if you will, into trying out for a band job at a dance uh, hall or, or cafe, speakeasy, whatever, in New York called the Club Alabam, which had just been reopened. And uh, they got the job on the basis of playing these two arrangements, apparently, that they had just recorded. And that launched Fletcher Henderson's band leading career. They were there for about six months after the beginning of uh, 1924, and then the band transitioned over to the Roseland Ballroom, which was their home for the better part of the 19th. 20s. So the two tunes from this date are the Dicty Blues, which is a Henderson composition, and a Porter Granger and Fletcher Henderson composition called Do Doodle Oom, and good 20s redolent type of tune there. Then we're going to finish up that set with um, another tune uh, that uh, uses basically the same band, and it's called Just Hot. This is uh, the first Tin Pan Alley type of tune that Henderson recorded, or that we're going to hear at any rate. It was written by Jimmy McHugh, the uh, uh, Boston-based songwriter who was in New York at this point and eventually wrote for many of the Cotton Club reviews. And this band probably has at least one more read in it. Uh, we're not sure about that. It's a little hard to tell on some of these things. And the bass sack sometimes switches into playing melodic parts as well. So those are our three tunes for this set, the Gulf Coast and Downhearted Blues from June of 1923, the Dicty Blues and Doo Doodle Oom, uh, from uh, September of 1923, and Just Hot from October 5th of 1923, all done by Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra.
Kind of the cream of the Harlem music establishment at the time. This was before Duke Ellington appeared on the scene, before people like Benny Carter or um, any of those later type musicians had really gotten going. They were considered just kids at the time. So this was uh, a group of very seasoned professionals whose uh, playing career had sometimes gone back to into the 1910s with James Reese Europe and uh, occasionally even to W.C. Handy and some of the various groups from World War One as well. And Henderson. Uh, was uh, a capable enough musician that uh, he could hire these men and lead them, although he didn't consider himself a leader at the time. And as I said, his first regularly constituted band uh, was just coming together at this point, and he didn't start his uh, engagement at the Club Alabama until the beginning of 1924. And these recordings we just heard were all in the fall of 1923. So we started out with the Gulf Coast Blues and Downhearted Blues from May, or rather June of 1923, and we heard Don Redman uh, being probably the primary soloist on clarinet. He had come from 
Piedmont, West Virginia. He was a child prodigy who could play a lot of different instruments. We'll hear him playing a couple of other things coming up. Elmer Chambers, who as a cornet player was out of the more ragtime and minstrel tradition, I guess. He uh, uh, was not a swinging trumpet player, although we're going to hear a couple of solos coming up where he really was much more impressive than uh, he had been on the earlier sides. Uh, we heard Teddy Nixon on trombone. He was somebody whose career sort of was just under the radar in Harlem. His last recordings, as far as I know, were done with Sidney Bechet and the New Orleans Feet Warmers in 1932. Then we heard, of course, Fletcher Henderson on piano. We even got to hear a little solo by him on the last tune, Just Hot. Charlie Dixon on banjo. Probably Billy Fowler on bass sax. And we heard some drums on one of the sides uh, done by Kaiser Marshall, who became one of Henderson's right-hand men uh, in his orchestra for the balance of the 1920s. So after Gulf Coast and Downhearted, uh, we heard the Dixie Blues and Doo Doodle Oom from September of 1923 and ended up with Just Hot, that Jimmy McHugh tune from October. And uh, the Reed players are sort of open to discussion. If uh, you look in the discographies, there are all sorts of ideas of who they might be. Uh, Don Redman is pretty much a constant, and we think Coleman Hawkins joined by the second session we heard today. Uh, and He was playing tenor and C melody and sometimes baritone sax. I don't know who did the uh, melody statement on Downhearted Blues, which sounded like a baritone sax, but there's definitely a bass sax in the ensemble as well. So lots of different possibilities there. And as I said, most of these, if not all of the charts we heard, were written. They were stock arrangements or things that they were playing from with certain amount of solo uh, options thrown in and a little bit of uh, improvisation, but largely a very organized band. Uh, we're told that Henderson wanted to become the Paul Whiteman of his race um, and have a, a band of African-American musicians who could do shows and dances and be able to play almost semi-classical scores as well. It didn't work out that way. Uh, to the good for jazz history, of course, but um, he certainly uh, had a very competent group of musicians even at this early date. So we're going to go on now and play the flip side of Just Hot from that October 5th date of 1923. This is the Down South Blues, and this was credited to Henderson and Ethel Waters, and they recorded this together a couple of years earlier for Black Swan. And we'll hear the uh, same band, as I just mentioned. Then we're going to jump over a little bit to uh, sort of the next stage of development of this band. This is from December, late December of 1923. And we're going to start hearing uh, even more organization. I mean, up to this point, we've heard what passes for almost like a New Orleans band with a obligato clarinet running through the whole arrangement. We're going to hear less and less of that and more of a section, saxophone sections and brass sections and so forth, getting into that idea of call and response that was so key to the beginnings of jazz arranging. So the two tunes we're going to hear from this date are Old Black Joe's Blues, which is a Fletcher Henderson composition that takes off on the uh, uh, Stephen Foster tune, Old Black Joe, and then a tune by Maceo Pinkard called the Potomac River Blues. And these were all identified as foxtrots on the record labels. These were done for vocalion. And now we have two trumpets. We have Elmer Chambers and Howard Scott, who was the first kind of hot trumpet player in the Henderson band. And uh, these two were joined uh, 10 months later by, or 11 months later, really, by Louis Armstrong, who of course took over that share as well. We're also going to hear, as before, Teddy Nixon on trombone, Don Redman and Coleman Hawkins doing the saxophones, Fletcher Henderson on piano, Charlie Dixon on banjo, Billy Fowler on bass sax, and Kaiser Marshall on drums. So we'll hear sort of the development of the Henderson Band and what presumably uh, they were rehearsing for the shows they were going to be doing at the Club Alabama the next month. 
So from that point, we're going to hear uh, one more tune before we leave off that set. This is kind of an interesting tune called the Sud Bustin' Blues, and it's credited to Armin J. Perone, the violinist from New Orleans, and his society orchestra, uh, which had people in it like Peter Bocage and Lorenzo Tio and so forth, uh, had come to New York to play at the Roseland Ballroom in the... Uh, middle part of, uh, or late 1923, early 1924, thereabouts, and they made their first recordings in New York. And Henderson took on some of their tunes and their scores as well. And this was recorded for Brunswick um, in March, March 11th of 1924. Same band as before, with the addition of a violin, a fellow named Ali Ross, who apparently was the front man and conductor at the Club Alabama for a short time. Also, the bass sax is uh, gone and is replaced by a tuba by Ralph Escudero, who uh, I believe was from Puerto Rico and was playing in a lot of the Harlem bands at the time. He also later played some string bass as well. So that would be the Sud Bustin' Blues. So we're going to hear those five tunes for this set. Down South Blues, uh, and actually I skipped one in there. How do you like that? This is a tune that in some ways is the hottest of the tunes that Henderson's band recorded at the time. It's called You've Got to Get Hot. This is from October 23rd and uh, was for Vocalion. This has a, a really steaming... Uh, pace to it by the end of it. Elmer Chambers is the cornet player, and he really shows off some reasonable jazz chops for 1923, although he wasn't featured much after this point. So that'll be the second tune. Then we go on to Old Black Joe's Blues and Potomac River Blues, and we'll finish up with the Perone tune, Sud Bustin' Blues, all by Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra.
there you get a little sense of the evolution of the Henderson Band, even within about a six-month period. So we have the first tune, the Down South Blues, which is the flip side of Just Hot from October 5th or 6th of 1923 for Vocalion. And that has more of a kind of a collective ensemble feel, even though they were playing from a chart and there were clearly some organized sections in there. Uh, one trumpet, or a cornet actually, Elmer Chambers, Teddy Nixon on trombone. Don Redman on clarinet and alto sax, Coleman Hawkins on tenor sax, and we get to hear some of his solos as they start evolving as well into becoming a major soloist, uh, mostly on tenor, some C melody, possibly some baritone sax as well, uh, Henderson on piano, Charlie Dixon on banjo, Billy Fowler on bass sax, and where uh, evident we heard Kaiser Marshall on drums. In fact, we a little bit later heard a couple of little short drum solos from him. He was considered quite a good show drummer for the day. So then we went to that tune that I almost forgot to tell you about, You've Got to Get Hot, uh, which was from later in October of 1923. That was also done for Vocalion. And we heard a much more swingy piece of music there with a, an out-chorus that was really looking forward, I think, to the Armstrong days. You really wished you could have heard Louis Armstrong playing on the out-chorus of that, and we'll find that is the case on several tunes coming up as well. Then we went up to uh, December, December 22nd of 1923, and these are tunes that are a little bit more arranged. We had uh, Old Black Joe Blues and Potomac River Blues, and both of those featured a second cornet as well, Howard Scott, who uh, begins to play some of the solos uh, as we go forward, and hear more organization as well, some more sectional playing, some more organized playing between the two reeds, and occasionally, we don't know, it's a little hard to tell with the recording quality, there's probably a third reed in there as well. And that was probably the swan song for Billy Fowler on bass sax. He was replaced by Ralph Escudero on tuba, and then Kaiser Marshall was a permanent member. And we get a sense of what the band must have sounded like at uh, the Club Alabama, where they began right after uh, New Year's of 1924. And they were playing for dances and for shows and chorus lines and so forth, so they had to play a range of different music as well. And we get a sense of that on the last tune from that set, the Sud Bustin' Blues, which was uh, composed by uh, the New Orleans violinist Armand Perrone. So it has a little bit more of a retro quality, kind of more of a almost one-step dance quality to it, which was what was the going thing in society circles in New Orleans. And the Perone Band was pretty successful in New York, but the men were rather homesick, so they didn't last too long at the Roseland before they mostly returned. Uh, the clarinet player Lorenzo Tio stuck around for a little while and made a couple recordings, but he went back to New Orleans as well. So now we're going to go to uh, definitely more of the sound of the band as it probably was at the Alabama. We're going to hear two tunes from January 29th of 1924. Uh, and this is uh, these two tunes were recorded actually, well, they were recorded for uh, Vocalion as well. We're going to hear the Cotton Pickers Ball and Lots O Mama. So even though these were recorded uh, before the Sudbust and Blues, they were probably a little bit more advanced in terms of the sound of the dance music. And again, we have the two trumpets and trombone, and then two saxophones and the rhythm section, the full four-piece rhythm section. This was done, as I said, for Vocalion, which had reasonably good recording quality at the time. 
So that's the Cotton Picker's Ball by Elmer Schobel, who was a piano player and stock arranger in Chicago for Melrose, and Lots of Mama, which was by the same thing. These were probably both played from Melrose stock arrangements uh, that Henderson was using. Many of the bands were playing from those uh, publishers' stocks, and they would take liberties greater or fewer with them, depending on their solo capabilities and the, the artistry of the men involved, and probably Don Redman had a hand in doctoring these stocks, as it was called. So then we're going to go to kind of a curiosity. This is a tune by Sidney Bechet. This was from April 1st of or April of 1924 for the Emerson label, which was a small label, and Henderson was recording for all kinds of labels in New York at the time. This song is called Ghost of the Blues, and it was published by Clarence Williams. Um, didn't really do too much, although several bands recorded it, and Bechet said in his autobiography, he said if someone other than Clarence Williams had published it, maybe a white publisher like Irving Berlin, it probably would have become a big success. And it's a very nice tune that shows off the band's precision of playing. Clearly this was a, an arrangement that was done by somebody, a stock arrangement. Uh, it's credited, the tune anyway, to Bechet and Tim Brim, who was a band leader prominent in the 1910s. And we're going to hear the same band again. Um, maybe drums, maybe not drums. Sometimes on these smaller companies, the uh, recording quality was such that if there were drums, you couldn't hear them. So chances are they just left the drummer off and didn't bother paying him. Uh, but this was done, as I said, probably at the beginning of April of 1924. Then we're going to go up to two tunes that feature the new soloist in the band, the primary soloist before Louis Armstrong. This was trombonist Charlie Green, Big Green, and he was from the upper Midwest, and he had a wonderful sense of the blues. He was a favored blues accompanist for many blues singers, especially Bessie Smith, uh, but he uh, was a good musician. He could play the scores, and he was probably the most advanced jazz soloist before Louis Armstrong showed up a couple of months later. We're going to hear two tunes that feature Charlie Green. And the first is from July of 1924, and it's called The Gouge of Armor Avenue. This tune is credited to W.C. Handy, and it's unusual for the day because it has extended periods during this arrangement that is basically a vamp uh, over a, a, a single chord figure, and Charlie Green and Coleman Hawkins both solo over that vamp. And Louis Armstrong was to do that a little bit later in a tune like King of the Zulus, and Jelly Roll Morton used it in Jungle Blues, and of course it became much more prominent uh, later on in more modern forms of jazz in the 50s and 60s, but here we have an early version of that. And the same band with the addition of, or the substitution of Charlie Green for Teddy Nixon on trombone. It really changes the feel of the band getting him in there. Then we're going to finish up with a tune from uh, August 29th of 1924, also for Vocalion. This is a tune called The Meanest Kind of Blues, which was credited to Jackson. I'm not exactly sure who Jackson was. There were a lot of contenders for that. Uh, and this features the same band, two trumpets, trombone, two reeds, possibly a third reed in there, which might have been played by Cecil Scott, who was a, a very young player at the time, and then the four-piece rhythm section as well. So this is the exact band, presumably, that was playing at the club Alabama, and this was recorded only about a month or so before Louis Armstrong joined the band coming in from Chicago. Uh, so this is sort of the last hurrah of the pre-Louis band, and it's a very good arrangement. Uh, it is a stock arrangement that uh, the band plays very well. They were really the, the, the cream of the black musical establishment at the time. Duke Ellington was just getting started, and his band wasn't anywhere near the quality uh, in terms of musicianship that the Henderson band was, and Ellington uh, even admitted that many years later. But of course, he caught up and past him by the end of the 20s, certainly. So that's our set. Cotton Picker's Ball and Lots of Mama from January of 1924. 
The Ghost of the Blues from April of 1924, The Gouge of Armor Avenue from the end of July 1924, and then The Meanest Kind of Blues from August of 1924. And I should mention both of those last two tunes were recorded after the band started playing at the Roseland. They played a, a short uh, tour at the Roseland Ballroom opposite uh, several different bands. Actually, the... Uh, Ben Selvin Band was there. Uh, the Henderson Band replaced the Perone Band at the time. There was always a black band and a white band that alternated back and forth for the dancers. And Henderson was engaged for a short period, and then he went on a summer tour, which was when these recordings were made. And then he was engaged for a, a much longer term in the fall of 1924 when Louis Armstrong joined. So, that's our set. The Fletcher Henderson Orchestra without Louis Armstrong.
So we ended up with a much more familiar-sounding version of the Fletcher Henderson Band uh, when Louis Armstrong joined a month and a half later or so. Uh, it started to take on its uh, uh, developing character, but you can hear where where it was at that point. We started out with Cotton Picker's Ball and Lots of Mama from January 29th of 1924 for Vocalion, featuring the smaller group, but uh, some very good sectional playing and some very good tunes in there. Those Elmer Schobel arrangements uh, worked very well. Then we heard The Ghost of the Blues, that Sidney Bechet tune that uh, featured the two reeds and everybody else as well. That was for that small company, Emerson, in April of 1924. Then we went on to the Charlie Green solos when he joined the band, The Gouge of Armor Avenue, uh, on July 31st of 1924. This was after the band had played at the Roseland for a while and was on a summer tour, I believe, of New England at that point. Uh, I had mentioned a tenor sax solo. There was not one in that tune. There was, however, a two-chorus cornet solo by Howard Scott, which for the day was extremely good and very progressive, and we lose sight of that because we're waiting to hear Louis Armstrong come in, and it would have been wonderful to have heard Louis do a two-chorus solo, which he didn't really get any opportunities to do while he was with the band, other than on Dippermouth Blues, where he was recreating King Oliver's solo, but that would have been a, a, a an extremely good feature for him. Then we finished up with the meanest kind of blues, that uh, very arranged blues tune that featured, uh, uh, I think, probably Elmer Chambers doing the wah-wah cornet. He had a sort of a Joe Smith type of sound. Joe Smith uh, and uh, Russell Smith, his brother, replaced Chambers and Scott about halfway through Louis Armstrong's tenure and really uh, solidified the brass section. So I hope you've enjoyed this program. This is some music that you don't hear too often, done by Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra, kind of a forgotten period in the uh, annals of big band jazz, this pre-Louis Armstrong period in 1923 and early 24, to mid-24, and uh, features some very good soloists, the developing Coleman Hawkins, uh, some outstanding work by uh, Charlie Green, and also some good work by the two cornet soloists, Elmer Chambers and Howard Scott. So you're listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to be part of the family, we'd love to have you. If you are in the mood to help us out and donate to our uh, broadcast here, wherever you're listening, on Spotify or Apple or any of those fine podcast stations, uh, and let me know if you have any thoughts on upcoming programs. My band name is The Wolverine Jazz Band. You can reach me at wolverinejazzband.net and Wolverine Jazz Band on Facebook and Instagram. So thank you, and I'll see you on the other side.